You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you're navigating in a world that is foreign to you. You are truly a stranger and alien because your home is really in heaven. But here you are. And God wants you to thrive. God wants your life to be effective. And so 1 Peter helps us understand how to do that even though we don't fit in to this culture that we live in. But you can thrive and you can do that by enduring trials because in front of you is this incredible inheritance that's being kept in heaven. You can do that by being more like Christ and living a life of holiness and so that people notice and that their lives can be changed. But today we're going to learn another positive way to thrive in this crazy culture, but it's the hardest thing to do. And that's to love other believers. Now remember, Peter is writing to, to, to people just like you. He's writing to believers that have fled Rome. There was persecution happening in Rome and they were in these northern provinces and cultural persecution was beginning to hit. The culture was not kind to them. And Peter wanted them to do well and to be a light for the gospel. And so what he's going to tell us today is in order to do that, you can love your fellow Christian. You can do it in a profound way. You can do it in a rich way. And it will become a deeper love than anyone can find anywhere else. And thus they will be attracted to Christ. And so this is an amazing passage. I want you to turn there if you would. We're going to 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 22. 1 Peter 1.22, if you don't have a Bible, you can take that one in the seat back in front of you and turn to page 1014, or you can use our Ridgewood app. 1 Peter 1.22 is where we're starting this morning. And in this passage, Peter describes the outcome of obedience, which is to develop a deeper love for one another, which then helps you to thrive in a strange culture. Because number one, you're reflecting Christ, and number two, you're developing relationships with people that understand you, that are on your team. And so this is really important. Let's begin on, at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you in chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy 
and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this is a, a really beautiful passage, but it's an incredibly challenging passage because what Peter is telling us that God's plan for us is to love each other as a reflection of Him, as a beacon in a dark culture. But as I read through this passage, I asked myself, why is it so hard for we as Christians to love each other? And obviously sin is the root cause of that. But we come into this relationship with Jesus and then so many churches are split by fighting and nonsensical things that happen. Why is that? I bet you if we took an unofficial survey of our neighbors out here in the West Metro or wherever you live, that you would find that the vast majority of people who don't go to church have had a bad experience in church. They've either not been loved well by the people in the church or they've seen people fighting in the church. And it turned them off. And so we're in this post-Christian culture where we need to reintroduce the gospel, introduce Jesus to them. There's a, a recent Barna survey that, that bears this out. The Barna Research Group, nearly four out of every ten non-church-going Americans, 37%, said they avoid churches because of negative past experiences in churches or with church people. Hey, we're the church people that they're having negative experiences with. And, and that's, that's troubling because as I, as I look at that, I think of how many people have we lost because we can't get along? How many kids will never step into a church again because of what they've seen their parents do and how they act? And that's unacceptable. And it was unacceptable to Peter because he knew that these Christians that were in this foreign culture that were starting to experience persecution needed each other and the only way they were going to thrive and the only way they were going to become a light for Jesus is if they loved each other. And so it's important. And the key to enacting this type of love as you live in this culture as an alien in front of non-believers is obedience, and that's really where it all starts. Obedience leads to a deeper love amongst believers. And Peter is going to drill this home today, that obedience to the Bible leads to this kind of love for each other. He's already spoken at length about the place of obedience in the Christian life. Back in chapter 1, verse 2, he wrote that you have been chosen by God the Father for the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience in Jesus Christ. In 1.14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. And then here now in verse 22, he encourages them with this amazing truth that a thriving life happens after having purified their souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So an implication of their obedience 
is that they had begun to love each other well. That what Peter's doing here is he's pushing them to the next level. He's telling them that okay is not okay. I want you to go to a deeper love. And the Greek words here are really interesting. They give the impression that these believers were once guilty of not really loving each other well. Sincere brotherly love in the King James is unfeigned love. The Greek word literally means without hypocrisy. So deep Christian love is honoring to God because it comes from a pure heart. It comes from a heart that is not playing games. It comes from a heart that is being obedient to the word of God. And then, as Peter moves forward, he continues to call these exiled first century readers to a deeper love. He commands them to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And the word earnestly is a physiological term, meaning to stretch muscles to their utmost capacity. It is to go for it. It is to Stretch for the full extent of something. That's the kind of love that he's demanding from these believers, not to settle for just getting along, but to love well. And furthermore, these two words for love are different too. In 22, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. The first is Philadelphia, a brotherly love, as stated in the ESV. And they'd already attained this. They, they got that part down. But they were being called to a deeper, earnest love. That word for earnest is agapao, which is a divine love. A selfless love. A Christ-like love. And so, so Peter is not at all leaving any questions on the table. He's telling me exactly what he's expecting from them. And obedience brings this type of deep love into the church because it values others above ourselves. It is transparent. It is the opposite of feigned love, of hypocritical love, which happens literally in this context, in the Greek, behind masks. And so the, the readers of this would have immediately understood that in that culture, it's referring to actors who are wearing masks. Feigned, hypocritical love. That is not what God expects from his people. This kind of love is the kind of love that has no room for egos. It has no room for behind-the-back gossip or criticism. Because the word is used, the same Greek word for the Lord. And, and Jesus used this word in John when he said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved agapao, you, you also are to love one another. So we can't just ignore this. We can't pretend it's for someone else. We we can't call ourselves 
Jesus' followers and then not follow Jesus. And this love is seen and in, 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 in when it's seen in practical ways by your neighbors or people you work with or people in your community group, it will be different. It will be attractive. They're not used to this. They're used to transactional love. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. That's the kind of love they experience. This is a Christ-like, deep love. And so the consequence of your obedience to Christ is that you can learn to love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ with this kind of deeper love. But you can't do it yourself. You need help. And you can learn to love others by this point. The cause, the source, the enabler of deep Christian love is the word of God. And here Peter now lands on how you're going to learn how to do this. It's by the word of God, and he reiterates that truth here in 23 through 25 in chapter 1. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so he's reminding his readers that they had experienced a new birth. And this change in their hearts would never die because it took place through the influence and the power of the word of God, which is imperishable. That's the same word he used back in 1.4 to describe our inheritance. It's imperishable. It's kept for you. It's enduring. Peter then borrows from the prophet Isaiah in 24. The point here is that all that is born of perishable seed, that's the world system, it's all the nonsensical stuff that goes on around us, will perish. The word of the Lord, though, the Bible, will stand forever. And so, where do you want to put your focus? Where do you want to put your time? Because God changes lives through the Bible. And we're not to be Bible worshipers. The Bible teaches us about Christ and how to be holy and to live for God. And it's empowered by God, but this is a manual for us. It's a letter from God. I loved 18th century prominent theologian Jonathan Edwards, what, what he writes about his own experience with the Bible, oftentimes, in reading the Bible, every word seemed to touch my heart. I felt a harmony between something in my heart and those sweet and powerful words. I seemed often to see so much light exhibited in every sentence and such refreshing food communicated that I could not get along in reading, often dwelling long on one sentence, to see the wonders contained in it. Yet almost every sentence seemed to be full of wonders. Isn't that that's a beautiful quote? This is a man who, who wrote amazing theology, but was in love 
with the words of God. And it penetrated his heart far beyond academics. And amazingly enough, most of us would agree with Jonathan Edwards that this is a precious book. That it is God's word to us. And and it's the very words of God, the creator, the master of the universe, the king, the one who is forever. The I am, the powerful God. But then it sits on the shelf collecting dust. Or our phone or tablet app is never opened. Which is really a testament to the hardness of the human heart. Do I always understand the Bible? No, I I don't always understand the Bible. I sit many a morning trying to figure out what God's trying to say. I don't understand every concept. I don't recognize every name. I can't pronounce every name. But I do know one thing, that the only opportunity I have to grow is to read the Word regularly and pray and meditate on it. If I don't, I have no chance to grow. I'll be stuck. I'll be paralyzed by that. And so, I'm encouraging you to reinvestigate this amazing book. The Word of God is the sustenance of the Christian life. Without it, there's no nourishment. And, And the Bible says here, Peter is telling us, and like the grass of the field, we will wither and die. How many meals do you just forsake during the day because you don't have time for it? At the end of the day, you're not going to be doing very well. It takes me about five minutes. At 12.05, I become that Snickers commercial guy. Somebody comes over and just starts shoving food in my mouth. Let's get Paul back. Where is your power going to come from? Your victory, your wisdom, it comes from this book. You know, people say, well, I love how you hold your Bible when you preach. Well, of course, because I have no authority. I've got nothing new or original to say. This is the authority, the Bible. When I say to you, the Bible says that's authoritative. And we have to live under the power of the word in obedience to the word because what happens then is we begin to love each other in this deep, amazing way because we've been transformed by the Word of God. And this is the very point here in chapter 2, 1 through 3. It's, a, it's a, an assurance that the Bible is a source of nourishment. It's also a description of what true Christian love looks like. So in, in chapter 2 verse 1, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love that phrasing by Peter, by the way, because this is kind of a rough and tough fisherman, and, and he's writing this, and he's walked with Christ, and he had tasted the goodness of the Lord. But the, but the analogy here that Peter is making is this, 
that deeper Christian love comes when we put on new spiritual clothing. That's what he's getting at here. The verb rendered put away is applied especially to stripping off dirty clothes and putting on clean spiritual clothes. It's the same analogy that Paul used and what he had in mind when he wrote to the church in Colossae in 3, 8, and 9. But now you must put them all away, all of, all of that dirty clothes, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. We are to put it away. We are to change our clothing. And then he gives us a list. And this is a command, not a suggestion. And it's not exhaustive, but here's where Peter lands. First, there's malice, which is the idea of intentionally harming someone else. We are to put off deceit, and that's from the Greek word doulos, which is literally referring to a bait or fishhook. It denotes guile, dishonesty, falsehood, and treachery. We are to put off hypocrisy, describing behavior that is not consistent with what we say, which I think is why Barna had a high number on that survey. Envy defines an attitude of those who resent the prosperity of others. Slander, the defamation of character, and the Greek here implies whispers, gossip, and backbiting. And Peter here, that word malice is really an all-inclusive word. It refers to general wickedness. And we're to put off all of this. We are to put those dirty clothes in the hamper and put on a robe of righteousness. And maybe one of those terms hit you between the eye. For me, it was envy that clobbered me when I read that. Because I don't necessarily begrudge others good things, although it was hard living in Vancouver when every other car was a $200,000 sports car written by some 16-year-old kid. That was a little rough to handle, but it's more this. God, you should have given me this. I can't believe you denied me that. And that's probably the worst sin of all. And so envy paralyzes me if I let it. But what do I do? Go back here into the Word of God to the source of cleanliness. I take off those cruddy old clothes. I get myself reoriented to the Word of God. And an outworking of that purification for you and I can, in verse 2, is when we long for pure spiritual milk. So deeper Christian love happens when we crave spiritual sustenance. Peter pulls out a wonderful analogy here because his, his Jewish readers would have understood that rabbis often talked about God's law as being pure and clean and as, uh, as milk. And so this is a perfect analogy. And to long for means to crave, to, to desire. And so the object of desire becomes God's pure and uncontaminated word. Pure, 
uncontaminated, unlike anything else in our culture, including our friends, including people we talk to on the street or at home or in our businesses. The word of God is pure and uncontaminated, and we can trust every word of it. Jesus affirmed this when he told Satan in the wilderness, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In view of the the post-Christian culture that we live in, and this relentless assault that is coming against Christian values, we need to be in the word of God to keep our heads on straight. And not just to take this theological trench and go, we're going to shut ourselves off from the world. No, we're going to love the world. And we're going to show them how to love because we're going to love each other. That's what Peter wants. He doesn't want a bunch of Christians living in a compound somewhere. And so this idea that we have an appetite for spiritual food means that we commit to regular nourishment so we can stand firm. And and whatever shaping your thought process is what you're going to believe. And I I asked myself a question a few a, a few months ago, I said, you know, what, where am I getting fed? What am I, what am I really spending more time on? And I realized that sports talk radio is probably not going to get me very far. I only say that half kiddingly because I used to do that for a living. And then I liked it because I got paid for it. But listening to it isn't the same thing. But here's what I did. I said, I'm going to start spending my time more wisely. I'm going to get audio books. I'm going to listen to theology sermons. I'm going to listen to my Bible app in the car. When I'm driving places, I'm going to make use of that time. I want to deepen my soul. I want to feed on things that last. I don't want to be influenced by culture. And I know if I didn't do that, I was going to die spiritually. And that's what Peter gets at now in 2.3. He summarizes this whole strain of thought with one phrase. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So here's what he's telling you. That you can obey. And, and that your obedience becomes purified when you long for spiritual food. And in turn, that will push you from brotherly love to this deeper, selfless, Christ-like love. And that will change everything. It is the Lord that turns the light on. None of this makes any sense without His initiation. Tasting the goodness of God, rather, ignites deep Christian love. Where do we taste it? We taste it here. We taste it in relationship to Jesus. The initiator of Christian love is Christ Himself. We sang that song, Reckless Love. The simple truth in that song is that God pursues us to love us. Jesus pursues and we are loved by him despite any activity on our own that deserves to be loved. Jesus is the initiator. Did you know that you can have a relationship with Jesus? Did you know that you can be forgiven and loved no matter where you are or where you have been? 
Did you know that even in the midst of terrible sin, you can be forgiven? That even in your darkest hours, Jesus reaches a hand out for you and says, you can be mine. The reason you can't find joy and contentment, the reason you may feel bitter inside is because of sin. And that sin, if left unchecked, will separate you from God for all of eternity. But the answer to that is simply to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust that you died on the cross for my sins and I want to follow you. Please forgive me for that. And then you will put aside dirty clothes, put on a robe of righteousness and your life will change. And Christian, when we read God's word, it it, it should cause us to want more of God and, and less of our own selfish pursuits. It should cause us to see our brothers and sisters as just like us, a product of the fall, sinful to the core, struggling through life, trying to figure it out. And then we can love them well and we can come together and shine a light for Christ. And we can gain a power and a desire to love others the way God loves us. Let me pray over you. God, I just thank you that you have given us your word, this amazing, uncontaminated, perfect word. And God, I thank you that we can live by it and we can can trust it and we can build our lives around its worldview and that when we do, love begins to pour out of us because we are becoming more like you. So God, I just pray that each of us would examine what are those areas of our life that we need to love better? Who are the people we need to love better? Who are the people that we need to forgive? Who are the people we need to go to to seek forgiveness from? And then we can shine this amazing light into a dark culture. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.